Now with your Bible open to Luke chapter 1, let's begin with verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered in her mind what manner of greeting this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now turn a page in your Bible and look still in chapter 1 and beginning verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now very briefly, I want to speak to you on the, this subject. Then Jesus came. Everything has changed when Jesus comes. It was a dark night in Israel they were discouraged and defeated. They hung their harps on willow trees. and The enemies came along and said, why don't you sing a song of Zion in a foreign land? They said, how can we sing about God in a foreign land where we're captives? They were defeated. And God said, Isaiah, I want you to go bring a message to my people. And here's what you're to say. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received at the Lord's hand double for all her sin. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now all that occurred five to eight hundred years before Jesus came. People sitting in discouragement and despair. And God said, Isaiah, you give them the message of Jesus. You go say, 
Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Who is the glory of the Lord? Let's say his name. Jesus. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. In other words, Isaiah, you have a message that will lift the hearts of the people. Though they sit in darkness, there's no need to stay in darkness because the light of lights is coming. Have you ever wondered why there are so many lights at Christmas? Last night I had occasion to be up real late in the night. A family was in need of some food and uh, the Lord let us have the privilege of going taking care of that. And as I drove around Fountain Square, those lights were on and uh, I just, the first time I've had an opportunity in several years, I just stopped. It was probably three o'clock in the morning. I was the only one in the area. I went in there and looked at all those beautiful lights. I stood in front of the manger scene. I saw that ugly brown sign that somebody in the city put there and says, this manger scene doesn't mean that the city believes in Jesus. I guess they did that to humor the ACLUL or some other group. But anyway, I think there's enough people in Bowling Green that believe in Jesus that the manger scene hadn't been put out. Thank God for that. But all those lights, do you know why there are so many lights? <clears throat> in the darkness of World War II, they had blackouts. And there was a song in those dark nights when the lights go on again all over the world. Do you remember that song? Jesus is the light of the world. And whenever you see lights, you look at the world mission maps and you see those lights burning. That means Jesus is going to bring light to those darkened places. You see this beautiful Christmas tree with about 10,000 lights on it. And when it's all lighted up and the other lights are dark, it's a brilliant thing. You drive around the city and during this time of the year and you see all the lights on homes. I have been amazed at the house after house after house, putting all those beautiful, brilliant lights out. And I'll tell you, I like it. I like it. I don't think it's a waste at all. And whether they understand what they're doing or not, I like it. Uh, they, they may be just celebrating something, not even, not even understanding what they're celebrating. But you see, the reason they're doing it and the reason for the lights, God put it in the hearts of early Christians through the years before they had electric lights to burn candles. I don't mean burn candles for the dead, but to burn candles symbolizing Jesus, the light of the world. And Jesus is that. In the darkness, Jesus is the light. And in your dark hour, in your hour of difficulty, in your hour of hurt, in your hour of the valley, in your hour of depression, Jesus is the light of that darkness. Now, you think of the dark hours you've been in, and then Jesus enters. A little while ago, I quoted that song, One Sat Alone Beside the Highway Begging. His eyes were blind, the light he could not see. He clutched his rags and shivered in the darkness. Then Jesus came, and night was turned to day. I think if we all would give reality to the heart feeling we have tonight, we'd have to say things were changed when Jesus came. My life was changed. 
My heart was changed. My home was changed. Uh, there was something changed about my lifestyle. There was something changed about my clothing, about the way I look, the way I care, the way my family acts. There was something different because Jesus came. I've told you this before. One night we were having a meeting at Camp Joy. It was late in the night. One of our young people had invited a friend to come. His name was John. Dr. Gordon was preaching that night and he gave the invitation. And a young man came forward and they filled out decision cards and then I read them afterwards. And on this one decision card, it wrote that the man had, young man had written, thank you for inviting me to Camp Joy tonight. And then he wrote down at the bottom, changed John. That meant he had been born again. He was changed that night. See, if there's no change, there may not be any reality to our faith. One of the, one of the problems of growing up as a, in, in, in a Christian home, there's a joy about it. There's a blessing about it. And some people just take it for granted. Others thrill about it. It's always a blessing to me when some young person comes here and says, I thank God for I had Christian parents. And I grew up in a Christian home, had the privilege of going to a Christian school and so on. And, uh, and then there are others had that same opportunity, but there's nothing changed about them. They don't like it. They resent it. They don't like their parents telling them when to come in, when to go out. They don't like to come to church. They don't like this and that and the other. And you know what the difference is? One has been changed and the other hasn't. And beloved, if there's not something in your heart that likes the light of life and likes God and likes God's people and wants to be in God's house, check up on your salvation. I asked Brother Louis Lightfoot in the meeting in California when on Sunday night the place was packed just as it was on Sunday morning. I said, Brother Louis, how come all the people come back on Sunday night? He just made one simple statement. He said, they're saved. Amen. They're saved. You see, when Jesus comes, night has changed today. There's a difference. Now, when Jesus came, he changed the place of women. Before Jesus came, women were a thing. They were a piece of property owned by men. But when Jesus came, he changed all of that. He elevated women to a beautiful pedestal. Always women had, had a, held a high position in the economy of God. But men were so oppressed with paganism that even among the Jewish people, and this, this got into Christianity in a way that uh, it should never have happened, Somehow women became second-class citizens. Beloved, a woman is never a second-class citizen if she's saved. She is God's precious child, a wonderful daughter in Israel. Now, there are different roles. Men don't have the same role as a woman does. Women don't have the same role as a man does. The feminist movement today has tried to make it look like everybody has the same role. There are no roles to play, so they, don't, they do away with role models. That's all. I won't finish it. There are roles, but that doesn't mean women are of any less value. Women have been elevated to a place of great opportunity and great responsibility. And thank God for the place of women. Jesus did that. 
Jesus changed the position of slavery. Now God's people were a long time understanding that. The song, O Holy Night, captures the truth of that when it says, the slave is our brother. When Jesus came, he changed that position. So there's no longer somebody here and somebody here and we have class society. In a Baptist church, a millionaire can sit right next to a pauper and they both have one vote in a church. That's because of Jesus. Jesus changed all that. Then Jesus came and night was turned to day. Jesus changed the position of a little child. In India, they cast their best little babies into the Ganges River as a sacrifice to some god. All through the Old Testament, God's prophets railed against that, letting their children pass through the fire. That's what that was talking about. But not until Jesus came was it really understood how valuable a little child is. The little baby that's crying. The little baby that is unborn. The little baby that is in the nursery is precious in the sight of the Lord. Therefore, Jesus changes our minds about abortion. And he makes us to realize that abortion is murder. Taking a precious little life before it has ever had opportunity to come into the world and just squash it out. How tragic that mean, wicked men and women and teenagers and young people would rather give way to the lust of their flesh than to honor the Lord God. I want to tell you something. I appreciate it when men and women wait until marriage to have that sacred relationship. But when an unmarried lady is going to have a child, you and I don't have a right to look down our nose at that, little, that woman. And when that child comes into the world, it is not the child's fault that that happened. That little child is precious to Jesus. One of the greatest preachers, I will not mention his name, but one of the greatest preachers that ever preached in America was the son of an unmarried woman. And God used him remarkably. How different that is from those who want to have abortions, get rid of the evidence, so to speak, get rid of the, those things that aren't very important to them. So Jesus changed all that. Then Jesus came. And Jesus changed it from night to day. And then Jesus changed the problems about worry and anxiety. There's a song we sing, all your anxieties, all your fears, place them on Jesus. Did you know that worry is a sin? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of, of us have worried. Probably everybody here. We worry and we fret and we toss. But Jesus changed all that. He said, how many of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? How many of you by worrying 
can make God feed the birds a little bit better than he did before you worried about it. Now that's the Oldham version of Matthew 6. How many of you by worrying can uh, get yourself better clothes or have a better house or pay all your bills? You see, he said, be not anxious for tomorrow. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, things, things shall be added to you. In Ephesians, we read, Jesus is our peace. And the angel said, Jesus shall be called the Son of the Highest. He shall sit upon the throne of David his father. And of his kingdom there shall be no decreased forever and forever. And all the things that Jesus came to say and to do are just as true today as they were 2,000 years ago. And they will be just as true 1,000 years from now if the Lord tarries as they are today. No matter the inventions and the technology and all the other political problems that come and go, Jesus remains the same. Jesus Christ, the same in the year of Caesar Augustus, in the year of in the year of Quirinius, in the year of Constantine, in the year of Hitler, in the year of Stalin, in the year of Roosevelt, in the year of Bush, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He remains the same. Then Jesus came. What do you need from him tonight? Without worrying, without anxiety, and without fear, could you cast your needs upon him and say, Lord, I need this. And if it will honor you, I want you to have, I want you to, I just want to, I just want to make my request known to you. He wants to hear it. And because Jesus came, and because of Christmas, all the promises of the Bible are very, very real to the believer. And let's enter into those promises tonight. Maybe bow together in prayer. That passage that says he is our peace. Not only does that want, mean that he wants us to be free from worry and anxiety and fear. But he wants to break down the middle wall of partition between our heart and God. He wants us to cast our sins upon him. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. <clears throat> the wages of that sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Would you cast your sins upon him tonight, your guilt, your fear, your worry, and place it upon him? And just say, Jesus, I give my life to you. If you've never been saved before, would you come to him tonight as your Savior? For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Would you come to him just as you are? And friend, if you're already saved, why not cast your anxiety and your worries and your fretting, your tossing on him? Just say, Lord, I know you're the captain of the ship. We're going through a stormy gale right now and the winds are blowing. But I'm going to trust you to guide me safely through. Our Father, 
We thank you that Jesus came and night has turned to day. Everything has changed. And we pray for God's hand and God's power and God's presence in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. Brother Lloyd, let's sing, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. Number 334. 334. And as we sing that, this is God's invitation to you. If you're here and you're not saved, what better night in the world could you come to Jesus than on Christmas night? Why not come to him tonight and just say, Lord, here's my life. I yield it to thee. And if you are saved, is there something else God wants in your life? Or do you need to cast something before him and give it to him? While we sing this hymn, who will step out for Christ tonight?